Hello and welcome to DKI, Digital Era Entertainment's weekly anime podcast. This is episode number 66. I'm your host, Joel, and I'm joined today by Hayes from our radio drama cast. Uh, we had a couple of last-minute cancellations from Franji and Mario. They had some clients that reshuffled things on them. How dare they be successful in their line of work? Don't they know that this podcast is important stuff? Anyways, we'll get over it somehow, some way. Hayes, how are you doing? The light is burning me. The light shows me where to go. I'm missing a reference here. I'm sorry. I'm not. Uh, you're not, actually. I'm just spitting forth words. Oh, okay. Good. Good. That makes it much better. Uh, well, we have a fun episode today. It's going to be a potentially controversial one. Not too much to talk about in terms of uh, anime watch this week. For me, I've been working on the radio drama script adaptation for The Fifth Element, which will be at the end of the month. That's on the 31st. So... I'm going to be wrapping that up in the next couple days and probably spending most of the weekend catching up on the anime that I missed this week. But yeah, and I know, Hayes, you weren't following anything particularly actively this season, so nothing to report there, correct? Correct. All right, well, in that case, we can dive in with the main topic for today, and that is Trigun. This is coming hot off the heels of the deep dive of Moriarty the Patriot that Franji and I did last week. I asked you, what would you want to talk about? And you brought up Trigon. I was like, oh, okay, this could work. Because for anyone who has listened to the show regularly, people will know that I'm not the biggest fan of Trigon. I don't dislike it, but I peg it as a solid 7 out of 10. You know, it's fine. It's good. I don't mind it. But I think it's generally overrated. And part of this really comes to the fact that I found the final arc very uncompelling, but we'll get to that later. In general, I think my biggest, my general opinion on Trigun is that it is the epitome of a early 2000s anime. It has a hard rock opening, it has some good fight scenes, it has pretty over-the-top characters, starts with a generally episodic structure and then tries to have a big narrative at the end. It doesn't follow its manga and has a lead voiced by Johnny Young Bosch. We're checking all the boxes here. That is a lot of boxes checked. My general opinion of Trigun it is, is it is number two in the three great anime space westerns, which are in a, large, in a pantheon unto themselves. Naturally, number one there is Bebop, number two is Trigun, number three is Outlaw Star. And frankly there's a there's a big gap between each of those like bebop is of course unassailable trigun is however extremely good if it is firing on, on all cylinders for you um and it is very true that it doesn't follow its manga spoiler we're going to be spoiling the entire thing here in order to talk about this because trigun is an anime that in order to talk about it you kind of need to know the plot and yeah. the, the way in which the plot is revealed to the audience mm -hmm. and you, you you bring up a very interesting point which is that it does not follow its manga it kind of does, but it also very much does not. So, yeah, if you haven't like watched I said, Trigun, the epitome of an early two yeah. thousands anime. If you haven't watched Trigun, recommendation is go watch Trigun. Yeah, it, it, it's worth a watch, and if only for historical significance. That one thing that I will never deny is that it was one of the big shows to hit uh, Adult Toonami. Swim. Yeah, Adult Swim, Toonami for a lot of people in the U.S. It was probably not the first anime they saw 
but it was probably one of the first, and it is one that is heavily tinted with nostalgia for a lot of people. And it's the type of thing that if you look at what there was to watch back in the day, it was absolutely top tier. I think part of also why I don't consider it so fondly is because I watched it after the fact in, it was, it was around 2012, 2013. Here's the and thing, I had also seen die. Hmm. Yeah. I and don't I, think I, I, it's I mean, aged that, super well in terms of the plot and pacing department. The characters hold up. The characters remain very good. The action remains very good. The music remains very good. Um, really, for me, everything boils down to plot structure. So let's get into that. So first of all, well, actually, first, I want to talk a little bit about the characters, because like I yes. said, I do love the characters, and there are some iconic characters. Yes. In I, 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 well, the first thing I wanted to say was that Vash the Stampede is one of the most iconic characters in the history of manga. Not necessarily in, in, in anime, but in manga, absolutely. Um, yes. The, that, the, the Trigon manga was, is just... Was, you see yeah. it and you know. Yeah, the Trigon manga was a buku seller in uh, in Japan. Not so much in the West. And the anime actually is less popular in Japan than it was, than it was in the West. Partially because, you know, Chimanami, Adult Swim, good timing and good, and good content. Mm -hmm. um, and so we do follow Vash the Stampede, uh, the 60 billion double dollar man, uh, across uh, this weird techno desert as he gets into adventures and scrapes with a bunch of uh, well, his supporting cast consisting mostly of Meryl and Millie, the insurance girls, who are there to make sure he doesn't blow things up and cause their insurance company to, do, to need to pay that stuff out. Uh, they are they, not very good at their jobs. They're, they're, well, they're, well they're, let me yeah. rephrase. They're okay at their jobs. Nobody's going to have an easy time doing that job when Vash the Stampede is involved because he is... What I'm trying to think of what the second term is for him because the first term is pacifist. There's uh, a reason they call he, him the Stampede, he, he which is that is a, he is a destructive pacifist. Yes, he is a he's like a hurricane. He passes through and leaves destruction in his wake, not necessarily by his own fault, but just because he can't like shake trouble. He's he like Joker. From and he's one of those characters that is more powerful than he recognizes and doesn't necessarily have the forethought to consider what his actions might do to his surroundings. He's always very conscious of what it will do to the people around him, but he does not regard property or, you know, the the general well-being infrastructure, structures and buildings around and vehicles, him. Et cetera. That, uh, if it's conscious, if it's conscious, he cares deeply about it. If it's inanimate, he could care less, or he couldn't yes. care less, rather. And the thing, the thing about having a $60 billion double dollar bounty on your head is that everyone wants to collect every weirdo bounty hunter and crazy-armed yeah. anime hooligan who, you know, between here and Outlaw Star, wants that money. So one has anything to Western, get it. Bounty hunters are a dime a dozen. Oh, yeah. And the designs in Trigun, we should note, are some of the strongest you will see in any space Western. Arguably, oh, yeah. they are very colorful. Yeah, they, they are more creative than Bebop's. So Bebop's designs are mostly grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. um, the designs here aren't going as crazy as something, say, Space Dandy-esque, but we're definitely a lot more colorful here. And so the way that the uh, show reveals Vash, or rather 
um, puts puts us alongside Vash. I think it's very important to talk, to talk about. I have opened the list of episodes, and I want to note that nothing even resembling a plot comes along until episode five. Um, yeah, and even because, then, it's yeah. not a lot of it. Then most of what we get in terms of plot starts somewhere around like sixteen, I think. And It'll be thirteen. It really, it's, uh, sorry, no, 12. okay. Of a and then it really kicks in the high gears somewhere around like nineteen or something. Uh, twenty actually. Because we, we have some arcs and then there's you know sprinkles of plot, but there's just a lot of stuff here that, like I said, as you have in your early two thousands anime, that's episodic or at the very least self-contained arcs that you know, serve to have their own mini-narratives there, and those narratives are good and contained, but don't necessarily contribute something overly meaningful to the end game. So, yes, there is, there is an, a, a bunch of that, of like, hey, Vash is in a new town, Mer Meryl and Millie, the insurance girls are there, let's, uh, let, let's have a, a wacky hijink with, with some gang or, gang or another. And, you know, usually there is a, a core emotional story being, being told, and what's important in those early episodes is that we always, always, always learn something new about Vash as a character. Um, because Vash is an extremely strong protagonist, and the way in which he is revealed, I would say, to the, to the audience is slow and very, very uh, um, well-considered. You'll notice a lot of things on rewatch of Trigun, like the fact that Vash has two modes, one in which he is funny Vash, and he is a goofy, goofy uh, goofball who has, gets into hijinks and stuff, and, you know, accidentally dodges danger. And the other is when he puts on the glasses. And that's when you get crazy competent Vash. Although he's often still trying to to mask that with his, you know, hijinks or goofy incompetence. Vash doesn't want to hurt people deeply on a fundamental level. He's one of the best pacifist protagonists you're, you're ever going to find in, uh, in anime. Yeah, he's very textbook in that regard. That is the central and I would say the defining characteristic about him, that he is a just absolute pacifist. We don't necessarily get the explanation. It seems to be in his nature that even when we get backstory about him, we don't necessarily see a particular moment where he, you know, might have been middle of the road and then has this realization of, oh, I, I want to choose this path of the pacifist, that it seems to just be very instinctual for him that the concept of hurting another is unthinkable. Even to help someone else. And that, that's why you get some of the hardest-hitting drama in the series out of these moral questions. But that takes the entire run of the series to get to. And before it does, you're also going to meet one of the other most iconic characters in anime or, and manga. Wolf oh, Wolf. yeah. Nicholas, Nicholas D. D. Wood. God, I love that, man. Best part of the series, in my opinion. And that's not supposed to be a slight to Vash. It's just that Wolfwood is so damn good. Wolfwood is excellent. Now, I, I want to talk about the um, the episode in which he's introduced, which is called Murder Machine, where you, uh, they find him, they're taking a bus across the desert, because the whole planet's a desert, and they find a guy just sort of camped out in the middle of the desert with a big old cross uh, smoking a cigarette, and they take him with them, and suddenly the, the bus is attacked by, like, robots. Now, it's been 
weird and anime technology up, up until this point, but we haven't had like actual murder robots. Thing is, number one, these aren't actually murder robots. And over the course of the episode, we find an alien spaceship. What's more, Vash seems to be able to interact with the alien spaceship and make it uh, stop with, with the, the robots that are stealing all the kids. So here's the thing. That episode, episode nine, Murder Machine, that ain't talking about the robots. That's talking about the man of the cloth. Yep. Wolfwood is, in contrast to Vash, a man who has no problem with violence. He is also, he is uh, like you mentioned, man of the cloth, that he is literally carrying around a giant iron cross. Yes. Which is also a gun. Filled with guns, and is a gun, and is another gun, actually. And th this is, of course, how we get our, our another parallel to the protagonist, in that Vash does have three guns, although you'll only usually see him using one. Uh, which is another like beautiful design, by the way. That is an iconic gun. Uh, which one, Vash's or Wolfwood's? Vash's. Yeah, they are just—they're at a glance very quintessential pistols, but they have a di a distinct style that uh, really does stand out, especially if it were to be you know lined up against your just very vanilla pistols. That they aren't you know the most creative or flashy things. But they're but very you'll, recognizable. You'll, yeah, you'll you'll know them at a glance a mile away. So, the thing about this is that, hey, why are there spaceships in this uh, like gunslinger anime? That is indicative of the how this series does its storytelling in the anime, because the overall tale of this sh uh, this story is actually one of humanity's descent to another planet and the challenges they face in creating a new society and the villain who stands in the way of that. It's it, it like okay. Heavy spoilers start here. So if you're if you're looking for um if you're looking for no spoilers, uh, step away. Vash is not what he seems. He's not even human. There are aliens in this world. He's one of them. Most most of the cast, however, is human, and they're trying to survive on a new world. And Vash the is not. Spent... Uh, Vash is partially aware, I suppose, that he's not no, entirely Va human. Vash is Vash is fully aware that he's not entirely human. Both he and his brother, who is the ultimate villain of the series, Knives, uh, are what are called plants. And they're just an, an alien species that uh, was at some point uh, discovered by humanity. And they have, you know, pseudo-superpowers, -super which is cool. Very useful for gunfights and action scenes. So in the, in the manga, as soon as the, like, dragon of the villain's forces shows up, it, the the whole that whole thing is laid out pretty pretty explicitly. His name is Knives. He's Vash's brother. Vash has got to kill him. Now Vash doesn't doesn't kill people. That's so that's an immediate conflict. But that's it. That's like there, there it is. There's the plot. And in the anime, this guy shows up, Legato Blue Summers, one of the scariest villains in anime history. And this guy. By the is, way, Hayes, that's the one you get for the episode. My bad. <laughs> All good. PG like I said, we always get one. One of the scariest villains in anime history. And man, I, I, I'm not kidding about that. The first thing he does is implied forced cannibalism. Yeah. 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 So, most of the series, he is the he is the big bad. He's working for Knives, but he is the one who's directing all of the villains of the week after after Vash and Wolfwood. Um, and wow, he's a good figurehead. 
he's a great figurehead, especially because he gets what he wants. So here's the thing. Vash doesn't kill people. He's trying to find a way to take out Knives, who is planning to genocide humanity, that doesn't involve killing him. And Legato forces him to kill him. Not Knives, himself, Legato. That's way at the end of the series, but man, that is some of the juiciest and best drama this series gets to, and it does so because it thrives on its secrets and its like patient reveals of who Vash is as a person and why he is the way he is. Yeah, that I'll, I'll agree to that. And um, Legato, I enjoyed as a villain that he was a very good foil to Vash in that Vash is the ultimate pacifist. And while Knives is sort of the ultimate destroyer, I felt, I felt that um, Legato was a bit more than that because, like you said, he was just so over the top. He was so violent that uh, Knives is a very cold killer that... Um, he's, he has his emotional reasons, but he doesn't really show the emotion as he does it, whereas Legato revels in his destruction. Yes, Legato is an extraordinarily passionate nihilist. He wants everyone dead, and that's why he's working for Knives, who wants everyone dead, because he's scared of, of humanity. But no, Legato wants everyone dead because he thinks humanity is just shit, and he, he is really, really happy to be killing them all. So... Does that does that also count as one? Uh, meh. Okay. In that case, um, so that's that's the thing. The anime thrives on secrets where the uh, the manga lays out its its story beats way ahead of time. And I I really like that about about the anime's approach that it you know gives you a little bit at a time and gives you bits and pieces to find and like uh, see on rewatch. Like there's a scene very early on where Vash is standing on an overlook, uh, like at a sunset, looking out over um, this big ball thing that contains a generator that's powering, powering this town. And he uncorks his bottle of booze and just dumps it over the edge. And I'm like, oh, well, pour, pour one out to the homies. And then he says, you were just thirsty. Which is in, like, episode four, way, way, way foreshadowing for the fact that plants are the thing that power human colonies and that Bash can sense them, commune with them, and knows when they're hurting. Yeah, so the thing with plants, like we said, uh, knives and Bash are plants, but plants are also kind of literal plants at times, yes. which are these, like Hayes said, uh, power sources. Um, it's weird. There's a lot of, you know... It was kind of trigger before trigger with aliens in that regard. Yeah, although they didn't, they didn't leave it to the very, very end, at least. Yeah, so basically you can split up the whole thing into three-ish arcs. Number one, uh, get, to know, get to know Vash. Number two, here come the gung-ho guns. And number three, let's resolve the plot. And yeah, frankly... Uh, and the, the, the let's, revolve, let's Revolve the Plot thing takes about seven episodes, and they are real good. They're almost all bangers, partially because this is where we finally get that Vash-Wolfwood fight that we've been looking forward to all season. Yeah, I guess, so the part that really gets it for me, I, and to be fair, it has been a while since I watched this show, but I just remember so vividly when I watched it that... 
the last arc fell really flat for me because while the action was really good, I found it difficult to be engaged with the characters on a motivational level. And I think a lot of this stems for me uh, to the fact that Knives is not a compelling villain to me. His... That makes complete sense, and, and I get that. And he's an absentee villain for most of the series. They yeah. let Legato and, and the Gung-Ho Guns carry most of it, yeah, which is, it, which is it's a to my mind, a good decision. That, that they kind of drop Knives in on you along with the backstory of Vash and expect us to be, you know, really suddenly emotionally invested in all of this. And I think it was too fast for me to care on as one part of it. And that the second part was that I, I don't know if it was that I didn't understand or didn't feel that Knives's motivation was significant, that they show this flashback of Knives and Vash being abused by one of their caretakers at this, you know, science facility type of thing that they were raised in. And apparently the fact that there was this one abuser made Knives decide that all of humanity had to die. There is and a little more than that, <laughs> but it, there, there, that, that does do a lot of the lifting. But yeah, I just... There, there was some more, but just not enough where I could really just... I want a villain where I can at least say, okay, I can see their logic, but if anything, it's the... I look at it and say, this is a child who never grew up. Because this happened when Knives and uh, Vash were very young. And the best that I've been able to reconcile for his motivation is that, okay, so he was abused, obviously bad. And that he wanted to uh, get rid of his abuser. Understandable self-defense, no problem there. And that just in sort of a way where you might have someone say, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up, and that they really get into that dream and they dedicate themselves to it, and it's something that just for years it powers them, it motivates them, and they work real hard, and they everything they do is about trying to become an astronaut. And the best that I can figure is that that was Knives' dream, where he, for whatever immature or just you know not fully comprehending reasons that at that point in his childhood was like this guy is an abuser and that's bad humans abuse and therefore humans are bad so i'm gonna kill all the humans and he poured his heart and soul into it and that became his defining characteristic and all that he ever cared about and that he never matured or even considered anything else any other potential goodness or other path and I guess that's how he wound up to be the really narrow-sighted villain that we have. And even with that reconciliation, I still can't be compelled by him. And the fact that Vash is so utterly and completely compelled by it, and just in that Knives' goal, no matter what, is to destroy humanity... Vash's is not even to save humanity, but to stop knives. That it is a 
just completely consuming obsession on both of their parts. And seeing these two characters be so incredibly passionate when I couldn't be was... It, it knocked the wind out of the sails for me. I would say that um, you're, you're definitely right about Bash... Uh, sorry, Nye's being in a state of... Uh, arrested adolescence, but do recall that his first attempt to, you know, kill all of humanity when he saw, when he realized, you know, how plants were being used and abused by humanity as power sources, etc., was when he was like thirteen, uh, when he and Bash were still kids. And yes, he, 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 I think he did turn that into a lifelong obsession and a, you know, a quest, as it were, when it didn't entirely work the first time he tried to kill everyone. Um, but I would say that. Vash's motivation is not just to stop him. He is go he is trying to stop him specifically because he's trying to kill humanity, to kill everyone. And they they go through this in the final in the final duel, like which is literal and metaphorical and also just one of the best anime gunfights you will ever see. It spans an it entire is very good, like I half said. of an episode. Even though it, I couldn't get emotionally right. invested in it, I still recognize these fight scenes never missed a beat. Yeah, uh, it's a it, it's a hell of a thing to watch. Uh, and frankly, you, 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 it's worth, I think, watching the entire series just for that scene alone. Because if you are rolling with the emotional impact that uh, you know, Bash has been on, on on this journey after killing Legato, after saving so many people, after failing and triumphing in the ways that he has and losing what he has, um, it is it does hit like a truck, honestly. And maybe maybe, Vi maybe knives is a bit of a, is a bit of a like just hey, I am I am the not you, I am the I am the the nega ninja, but. Damn if it doesn't work as a final boss for Vash and a final test of everything he is. And it's not like he's a complete absentee villain. You you get flashes of him like very early on, uh, but it's never you know fully explained because this is the Trigon anime and the Trigon anime loves its secrets. Yes. So yeah, I I definitely think Trigon holds up. It is uh just a it is a fun time. It is an emotional time. It is a good time, and also uh the movie is just a fun time because it was one of those anime movies that was like hey so the series ended but this is really popular so let's churn something out and yep. just lavishly animate it <laughs> yeah that it, once again as is you know just sort of indicative and tropey of your early 2000s animes that sure was a early 2000s anime movie where they got some budget and they whipped up a new villain and a new story that really didn't matter at all. But hey, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, hey, One Piece is still making those to this day. To this day. <laughs> One Piece is still making everything to this day. Did you hear One that, that is One Piece day. is doing? Uh, this was just announced, like, either today or yesterday. One Piece is doing an official Where's Waldo crossover. Not in the anime, but, you know, they, they're doing a, a collab. They did a Hugo Boss crossover. I don't see, don't see why this is any more or less ridiculous. They did a Hugo Boss crossover? I missed that. I think so, yeah. Good lord. And to be fair, just with how far One Piece has gone, very few brands are not going to want to work with them. And just, it's it's kind of interesting to see because that that's something, taking us on a bit of a tangent here, the, the degree fictional brands intermingle with non-entertainment brands is a lot bigger in Japan than it is in the US that you don't really see these types of things like 
you didn't see it with Harry Potter. You didn't see, you know, there's Love Live brand rice. There's Pokemon brand everything. And Pokemon probably was the closest to that that we got in the U.S. But, you know, you didn't see, uh, I don't know, Game of Thrones cold cuts or whatever. My mistake. It wasn't Hugo Boss. It was Gucci. Hugo Boss uh, was, I think, the one who did the, who did the JoJo crossover. Let me double check that. Oh, that will te- heck JoJo and Hugo Boss. That that actually feels really relevant because, well, JoJo and fashion. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. I'm gaming for uh, throwing a gif in our notes passing with um, Bender and kill all humans. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh wait, no, I think it was actually it, no, nope. Sorry, that was also Gucci. Gucci just loves its anime crossovers. I guess so. Right, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the Hugo Boss cross, uh, that Hugo Boss hired wrestlers, Japanese wrestlers, as fashion models. Mm, okay, okay. Like uh, Finn Balor, who is actually Irish, but you know. Yeah, close enough. I mean, hey, handsome men. Put them in some suits. Then have them take off those suits and hit people. Yeah. So, Hayes, have you actually read the manga for Trigon, because I have not. I just know that it is different. Not all of it, no. Um, and it is, but because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad manga reader, I, I, I have trouble getting through it. It's just I, my brain just tweaks, and I, I go, "What, what is this?" Um, but I, I have read like several chapters and understood how things are different and how they fit into uh, the anime as presented. For example, like there's a, there's a like a. What do you call those? Like those pre, like promotional, those pre-series promotional things that manga will do to just like, hey, here's a here's a series I'm thinking of and some characters I've, I've, I've thought up. One of those was turned into an episode, and it's one of those like get to know Vash episodes. So mm. things feel a little weird in that episode because it's you know pre you know pre canon characterization essentially. Gotcha. But By yes. the way, Nathan Jacobus, uh, you can go ahead and drop some spoilers in chat if you feel like it. We're as we've said. Pretty uh, cavalierly going with spoilers in this. That's going to be something pretty uh, standard for these deep dive episodes. That uh, if you're here, you're going to have to accept that spoilers are going to happen. So uh, either have watched the show or just accept that uh, you're going to get spoiled because that's how things are going to need to go for these types of shows. Yeah, we can't exactly talk around a show that uh, pieces out its its you know plot details as part of its storytelling over the course of 26 episodes without talking about some of those plot details. Yeah. Now, backtracking again a bit, I feel like we haven't given um, Millie, and I'm buying on the other name. Meryl. Meryl, thank you. I was like, Eminem. But uh, we haven't given Millie and Meryl the time that they deserve because I would say that they are the primary secondary characters. While Wolfwood ultimately means more we get a lot more screen time with millie and meryl yes it is it's it's very much the hey here are some people who are you know recognizably human and have you know reasonable priorities and the the funniest like dumbest excuse like excuse for being around the main character that i've ever seen and i wish like i would see this again like just like the insurance people who are just like please stop destroying everything well the hero goes haha not trying to yeah, it it's very They're, interesting to see just kind of both how dedicated they are to their jobs in that they go to great lengths 
to follow this man who is wanted just by law enforcement, has this massive bounty, is known as the Stampede because he destroys everything. And, you know, these two, for all intents and purposes, they're office workers. They are just, you know, your regular rank-and-file pencil pushers, file clerks in a insurance company. Though I will, and, I will say that the, the moment where you realize, oh, but they're that in a, you know, space western is pretty great. This is true. But even so, the... That was weird. Someone above my apartment just dropped a very large thing on their floor. Anyways, um, they by all rights have no business hanging around someone as strong and destructive as Vash, but they do so with basically complete disregard for their own well-being and that's kind of interesting but then also the fact that they are despite their obvious passion and dedication their utter powerlessness they occupy a very interesting role of being a lot of comedic relief in that they are just you know continuously failing at their job, and they're a bit of an audience stand-in for exposition being told to them and also being shocked when Vash himself is not. But the other thing they do is they act as... Um, the normal human people well, who have, you know, priorities we can understand. Yeah, and, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. the way I would put it is Wolfwood and Knives and... Um, uh, to an extent, Vash. Well, and Legato, no, so, certainly. No, so um, Knives, uh, Legato, and Wolfwood are the moral foils to Vash. Millie and Merrill are the human foils to Vash, because the thing about Vash, as we discover the fact that he is literally not human, really does explain a lot of it that just... He was raised in this facility. He did not really have parents. He did not really have many friends. And just, he has this obvious emotional void where it's not even that he is, like, he is immature. But he's also just kind of emotionally clueless. And not, Millie and Merrill... Clueless, but he is distant. And he, although he actively tries to cover over that with goofiness and affect and that's, yes. and that's you know anytime the glasses aren't on yeah and Millie and Merrill uh, for as I don't even want to call them inept because they try their best and to be fair they would probably be very successful in their job if they were trying to do their job for anyone other than Vash absolutely but I'm, there's a reason these two got assigned to this case yeah that it, they are these weren't just, you know, totally random assignments, but it's still okay. There is absolutely nobody that this company can put on Vash and have the job done well. And even if they aren't able to stop him from causing all this mayhem and destruction, that he still does give them the time of day more often than not. There's plenty of times where he brushes them off, but it, he never really gets... E with a few momentary exceptions given emotions, he doesn't really care that he's being followed by them, and during their travels together, they 
kind of help him grow emotionally, educate him as a, just a character, because they see these things that Hayes and I are saying that Vash can't see about himself and do their best to sort of not even act as motherly figures per se, but they they do their best to kind of figure out just what the heck is up with this guy yeah, that is they wanted like, they by like the, the law. Rest and the, uh, like, like the rest of the audience, they're asking the question, what is Vash's deal? Why are you like this? What are you actually like? And Meryl especially is on this journey with the audience, who is the nominal love interest, but it's n not, like, serious. It's never really pushed. No. Like, kind of passing infatuation and just like, oh, wow, he's cool, swoon. Oh, I mean, it, it's it, it's a bit, it's a, it, I don't even want to call it Sundere because she cannot stand him at, at, at the start and basically tolerates him at the end and, like, has respect for him. So that's, you know, it's, it's a more adult kind of, like, eh, we're fighting for our lives and you are not a terrible person. And pulling that out of, out of him is the, you know, the sort of arc that she's, she's given over the course of the show. Millie is, like, you know, nice to a fault off, off the beat, but uh, she has yeah, her she's own, She's your like, cheerful yeah. Genki character. Yes, and she has her own hardening to go through, of course, because this is a space western and we can't have just nice people. No, that's not allowed. Absolutely not. No. Uh, it's like, tr do not trust anyone who comes off as just nice, especially Wolfwood. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, Trigon has fantastic characters, I think, almost to a, to a fault. Even the, like, the bit villains, the gung-ho guns, and the, like, episodic, like, antagonists have good stories to tell and great action scenes to bring along with them, usually. Um, and the Creativity on display is, of course, fantastic. The design of everything is excellent, and the way that it's all put together and animated looks absolutely great for a 90s show. Yeah, I'm actually looking up. I forget who did... Uh, it's a Studio Madhouse production. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the Madhouse productions that got the budget. Yeah. And I'd argue that As opposed to the other one that they did the uh, around the same time, which also featured a guy in a red coat, which did not get the budget. <laughs> Um, the original Helsing be, anime. I was yeah, I was going to say, would that have been Helsing? Yep. Yeah. Uh, again, an, another very popular manga that was turned into uh, a, a show around that time, and that one didn't follow its manga and was a lot worse for it. Whereas I think yeah. Trigon deviates in ways that I make it more interesting. At least they got that. Yes, I mean they did have to dive into limited animation for the last two episodes, but hey. And then it took the 10th episode, like, six years to come out. But anyways. Lissai. I mean, hey, that, that, I mean, wow. Uh, Team Four Star got through, through that faster than the actual, you know, animation studio did. But I guess they were working with existing materials, so can't really judge. Well, yeah, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and I've been reminded of something very fun. Uh, Knives' full name is Millions Knives. Knives because and his he, millions and millions of not actually knives. He does not use knives. He he uses bullets. He, he shoots yeah, it, because it's a good ra rather disappointing in that regard. I mean, it's in the name, and then you're not even trying to use it. There, there's no symbolism of a knife in his character. There's really nothing 
to actually justify this name. It's just a weird random name. At least Vash kind of sounds cool, and it's it's vague enough that it doesn't have any really uh, predetermined meanings or... I mean, there's another uh, character in the show called Brilliant Dynamite's Neon. Yeah. Pretty sure, pretty sure this was just a case of, like, author likes English words. <laughs> I could see that. Also, like, my brain does go into talking about knives. All right, knives. Knives chow. Wait, nope, wrong character. Nope, nope, wrong knives. There's only, there's only a couple in all of fiction, though. It's true. It does make him stand out in that way. It does. You'll never, you're, you're never going to forget a name like Legato Blue Summers. I admittedly did forget the name, but... Anyways. Well, I guess, I guess I have egg on my face now. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, even the villains of the week, like Hayes said, have a lot of character, and even if they don't have necessarily compelling stories that motivate them, that we don't really get a lot of backstory for most of these other villains. No. But they become very big pieces and fun pieces in stories that they create as yes. they uh, have their, even if it is just one episode, that it's still, like I said, we're dealing with episode of the week for a good chunk of the show, but it's not bad episode of the week stuff, that it's, especially for its time, very, very good. Yeah, very much a, like, here's the monster of the week, and it's going to leave some scars, or they're going to leave some scars. On one of the one or more of the characters until finally the monster is you. Huh. Never really thought about it that way. That's an interesting take. I mean, yeah, it literally ends with, you know, Legato telling like Vash, you must become the monster that you feel that you fear being. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, now, definitely definitely recommend recommend this show. Uh, anything else we haven't covered so far? The music, it's got right. just yes. an awesome rock soundtrack. One second, I'm going to sneeze. Can I mute in time? You did it, folks. Got it. All right, yes. Um, yeah, so the opening, like I mentioned, it's, it's wordless. It is just, you know, a minute and a half of guitar shredding, and it's really good. Oh, yeah, go look up the opening, and that will probably sell you on watching the show if you haven't been sold already like we've spoiled a whole lot here frankly you can still appreciate this show on a lot of levels and we haven't even spoiled everything yeah and and also we've been jumping around so erratically and really only scratching the surface on a lot of these things so even if you know those basic beats there is a lot more and i know that i'm sort of playing the contrarian here of saying yeah i i don't love it after all this but i'm also still kind of complimenting it as we go because my big thing is i watch the show and i don't consider it a classic like many do i don't think that this is an all-time great show i think it's a fine show though and you know if a lot of other people want to consider it a classic and hold up a classic hey whatever to each their own and goodness knows there are worse shows that could be considered classics i'm looking at you sort of I'm, yeah, there's a, there's a difference between influential and classic. Yes, very true. Yeah, I, I do think this is still like number two in the great pantheon of, spa of anime space westerns. Uh, there right are above. many space yeah. westerns to consider, though. 
I mean, fair, but three of them stand head and shoulders above literally everything else. I suppose. Um, there was a... It's a disservice calling it a knockoff Trigun, but it felt like a knockoff Trigun. Oh, no, it, no, it absolutely was a knockoff Trigun. Are you talking about the one with the, uh, the reloading that was done in the, the anime way? Yeah, I... It, are we talking Cannon Busters? I believe we're talking Cannon Busters. Let me double check. We're talking Cannon Busters. Things I, could, I couldn't get past episode five of it. The characters were so annoying. Because they, they tried to emulate the begrudging kind of Sundere uh, role of... Um, sorry, one second. Of uh, uh, Marilyn Millie. And it didn't land for me that the the characters were just constantly arguing and squabbling and it got really annoying. So I could not get into the series and it was trying to weave an interesting narrative. The thing I appreciated about Gunbusters is that it was very upfront about its plot and the types of topics that it wanted to do. And I, I like that. I, I like shows that, you know, take their time for their plot and their narrative and not try and cram it into the final act because they spent the first two acts doing episode of the week that, you know, had sprinkles of plot along the way. But, gosh, the characters were not good, and it's unfortunate, because the production values were good there. It also had a very fun opening, a good soundtrack, and um, the production team it was really cool. Um, it, it has some really great creative minds behind it. It was just the characters that didn't mesh for me, but... Uh, I know some people enjoyed that type of just uh, sort of loud arg argumentative comedy, and even if it didn't land for me, maybe it's one for you, who knows. But it was kind of a knockoff. It, it so, took very heavily from the themes. So the, the, the show I was thinking of was not, uh, was not called Cannon Busters, but you will forgive me for mixing up Cannon Busters and Grenadier. And I've this heard one, of Grenadier. I don't know much about Grenadier. Grenadier is exactly Trigun, but with more fan service, and oh. it, not good. When uh, I say reloading in the anime way, I mean guess where the bullets are stored. Oh, yeah. At first, and, I thought you know reloading in the anime way would be that type of thing where they literally you know throw the bullets up into the air, open the chamber, and then swipe the gun down, and the gun. Or the bullets conveniently oh, she does land that. in the chamber, and it's just you know from some they come. do that, and like that's kind of cool, and I don't mind that type of anime reloading. But uh, if we're talking uh, unconventional bullet storage, uh... yeah, and yeah, the protagonist is a pacifist who's you know d d dedicated to not killing anyone, and it's a desert, and etc. and so on. But also, there's a hot spring episode because, of course, there is. That may be one of the few things that. I could be forgetting, but I don't think there is one in Trigon. I think that they, they very distinctly sidestep that trope. Yeah, no, like, uh, any time water comes up, it's a major plot point, because it's a desert planet. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Yeah, they can't be wasting it in, like, you know, a hot spring bathing. If they were to find something like that, that, uh, you know, obviously bathing still happens in the series, but I don't think that there's, like, a shower scene or anything, even. No, there is nothing. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure... Yeah, that in, in terms of fan service, actually, this series honestly has nothing of significance that even 
Millie and Meryl's designs themselves, that they are very uh, just realistic, honestly, that practical. Um, yeah, that they're practical. They are not real. They're not sexualized at all. And I do appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I, again, I, I, I give this series like a 10 out of 10 on design all the way around, like creativity and practicality and just all it all it all works to, towards a cohesive whole. Which yes. is, I think, fantastic. Now, Wolfwood's giant iron cross isn't particularly practical, but his design, I suppose, is still practical. It's just his weapons design that's not. But honestly, we don't want practical weapon design in anime, do we? No, no. We want a sniper rifle that is, you know, several people long. Yes, please. Yep. And you get that. Of course you do. Yay. And you want, and, and you, and you get a guy using a saxophone. I forgot about that. That one was good. That was really good. <laughs> And they, oh, by the way, does Grenadier also have an episode where they fight someone who uses sound waves? Yes, they, yes, I do. Mm. This is the level well, of shameless we're working with here. Eh, to, to be fair, you know, if we're working with episode of the week and you have a lot of different enemies, having at least one in your run that uses sound as a weapon is not, I'm not going to call that taking, you know, a specific series. I'm going to call that more a trope of, you know, sound villain Goodness knows Sailor Moon has had their fair share of sound villains. I mean, but when you're already borrowing the entire rest of everything and just adding some fan service. Okay, that's... Okay. I, I, I get more... Uh, like, all right, hell, Batman Beyond had a sound villain. It was a good one. But I get more suspicious when, that, when you're already like, and this is the gun, and it looks a lot like Vash's gun. Who did Grenadiers? Let's see here. Uh, hmm, this one was, oh yeah, looking at that key art, that's some fan service. This one was, the anime aired from 2004 to 5, uh, it was done by Group Tack in Studio Live, I'm not really familiar with them. Not oh. terribly, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Well-known or uh, prolific, I don't think, for good anime. Yeah. Also, I've been saying early 2000s, um, who was it in the chat uh, that said it was 90s? But they were right. It aired in 98. And uh, that, uh, so actually, when did it, when did it air in, um, in America, though? Oh, true. It probably hit the States in, um, sometime in 2000. Let me see here. Uh, U.S. premiere in early 2003. Yeah, That'll do it. At least, uh, the, the Adult Swim premiere was 2003. I don't know if it had a DVD release before that, but it was... It, it it hit Adult Swim then, so at least I'm not completely out of it for that purpose, but yeah. Actually, so now I'm curious, because the, the air date here, original run, was April 1st, 98. The manga debuted in May of 95. And then for comparison, Cowboy Bebop had its anime debut... April 3rd of 90... Were these in the same season? 
They were. Holy cow. Wow. Head to head. Wow. How about that? And the manga for Bebop actually began later. Uh, well, Cowboy Bebop Shooting Star was only two volumes, and that began in 97. Um, they then did a longer adaptation after the anime had begun, or actually, yeah, uh, after the anime had begun, but it was still in 98, it was October of 98 that they did the manga adaptation of the anime. But yeah, the fact that they were both yeah. April, so it was spring 98 that these two shows actually aired. Wow. Because I, I will agree that, that's you know, a good as far season. as space westerns go... They are very few, but Trigun still stands out for a reason. Several reasons, I would say. Design and implementation and just yeah. all of the, like, classic, classic characters. Yeah. That's so cool. The fact that it was... That almost makes me surprised that we didn't see more happen because to have two such successful space westerns you know, in the same season that I would have almost expected that to do what Madoka did for Dark Magical Girls or what Sword Art did for Isekais in that, you know, I, I would have thought that that would have really galvanized the subgenre, but I guess it just didn't. Hmm. I mean, I guess trends were a lot you know, more difficult to chase given the, the, the production cost of anime at the time. True. Yeah. Not to say that it's not inexpensive now. It's just that it's the the pipelines are much more more efficient. Yeah, a lot more streamlined. Like you want. I mean, hey, if if for no, no other reason that you go to watch uh, Trigun, you want a good hit of old like late nineties cell animation. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. the good shit. Yeah, just this is very classic uh, animation of uh, the kind of thing that Megalobox was trying to bring back. Yeah, or at least imitate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you see the second season of Megalobox Hayes? I did not. You should see the second season of Megalobox because holy cow, it's a... You'd think it was a different show, honestly. Really? It is... It's barely a sports anime anymore. It is just a full-on, heavy-hitting drama piece now. In the first several episodes, like the first two, three episodes of season two, we cover drug addiction, discrimination, um... Just, uh, there's, I can't go into too much more without major spoilers, but just, there is, it's heavy, man. It, like, Doc Brown gravitational pull heavy. My, my. And then must, it, I, takes, that look. it takes, uh, Joe on a really interesting character arc. Uh, the, it, it's so different i've never seen a season one from a season two just diverge thematically well I, I don't even know if it's necessarily a divergence because you had you had some similar themes in the type of drama that season one had but this is no longer you know every episode is a match that there's a lot going on with the people and not so much fighting anymore that uh the fights tie the story together but what happened what mattered in season one was what happened in the ring what matters in season two is everything outside the ring 
That is super interesting. I'm going to have to definitely look into that because frequently, like the stories from outside the ring are as or more interesting in real life than the stories from inside the ring, as anyone who's ever watched a boxing or wrestling documentary can tell you. Yeah, and it was the type of thing of just, given the tone of everything, I wasn't sure how it was going to end. I liked the ending. I thought the ending was good, but it was just, uh, the studio took chances on their writing and just how they followed up what was, you know, a very serious sports anime, but distinctly a sports anime. But if this had, you could almost call this a different series. If you had released it and used different characters, that this series could honestly exist on its own, that the fact that you have the first season to build off of makes everything that much more impactful. But the story told yeah, here impactful. is self-contained enough that you could have glossed over the backstory of, okay, this guy is a famous boxer who used to be, you know, top of the world and had it be its own self-contained 12-episode narrative. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty go, great. Go watch Megalobox Season 2. It's real good. Sounds like I, I have anything to add to my to-watch list then, along with everything else. Yeah, I was, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, great, this means Hayes isn't actually going to watch it this year. If he does, he'll get back to me in three years. Yeah, basically. I mean, unless, like, somebody watches it with me. But that, that, you, you want to get me to watch an anime? Like, sit down with me and be like, hey, let's watch a thing. And I'll be like, okay, we can do some media analysis. It'll be fun. Clearly, I'm, I'm down for that. Yes, it's a pity that you live half a state away and the state is the second largest in well, not second largest, third largest in the country, but we have the internet. We can do we can do things. This is true. This is true. It doesn't have to be physical. Sit next to okay, eh, maybe. But then again, I might just need to get you into any number of other series if I am able to actually get you like that. But that's beside I mean, the point. This has been a good episode, and we've run just about our full hour. Congratulations, go us! Fantastic. Yay, uh, Hayes. I. I mean, absolutely no offense by this, but I assume you don't have anything to plug. Oh, absolutely not. I barely <laughs> exist. I'm going to fade back into the ether now. Well, he'll be coming out of the ether again on the 31st of the month for our radio drama presentation of The Fifth Element. Uh, cast and everything still to be determined. I'm going to be finishing up that script like I mentioned in the next couple of days. I got through the introduction of Ruby Road last night and we are now officially in Floston Paradise um I stopped working last night in the middle of Diva's performance just as the Mangalores were breaking into Diva's suite and killing her manager and assistant it's a hell of a scene isn't it it is yeah because they're the last couple scenes took a while because there's so much action going on in them that I need to be figuring out, all right, what's the best way to flow with narration that is not overly long? Because one thing that I feel like I've gotten much better at over this now year plus of writing radio dramas is that I've gotten a lot more efficient in my narration writing, that I was super flower, flowery in the first couple ones, and part of that was because there was so much stuff to, uh. you know, describe in the Pokemon movies. But now I'm trying to figure out, all right, how can I make it good and descriptive but also make it snappy and 
there's so much happening, especially when Ruby's actually on the scene, uh, that I've had to... It takes more time to write less, you know? Yeah. Cutting judiciously is important. Also, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a hot take for you. This is the fourth best Die Hard movie. Huh. Yeah. Because a good day to Die Hard is not a not a Die Hard movie. <laughs> I've never heard that take before, but it's an interesting take, and I respect it. Thank you. I can't claim originality on that one, though. That one's actually Mikey Newman. Nice. Well, oh, if, if, that... if if you're not watching Mikey Newman's uh, like uh, movies with Mikey series, go watch that. Like some of the best media analysis on on the planet i would say he does do good work he does very good work and he does it all well usually being barely able to get up from his, his uh, living room floor yeah. apart from that i will be back next thursday with rj for more of famicom detective club the girl who stands behind and as always here for dkai on fridays other than that, be sure to uh, like, follow, subscribe, all that jazz uh, for Digital Era Entertainment here, Twitter, Facebook, also TikTok I think we have now. I'm not running that stuff, so I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure we have it. And also, if you want to join in on the discussion, we have our Discord server where we are constantly posting random crazy things. I make sure that the uh, VTuber channel gets good stuff at least once a day. I saw some stuff in the card shop channel while we were talking this past hour so do drop in there and i think that's gonna just about do it for us and episode number 66 of deke high so thank you all for tuning in stay safe stay sane get your fauci ouchie and we will see you next time on digital era twitch mm -hmm.